But you could call me the can man, because anybody can get it. Unbelievable! Dana! 60 G's, baby! <laughs> Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler! Welcome to the 25th edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron and today I'm joined by Connor Harmer, Tom Kennett, Rory Ford and Alex Jones joins us again since I think the fourth episode I think he was first on. Um, Rory, I gather you were at Bath Races this week. Any uh, interesting tales for us? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good evening out on Friday. It did mean I was a, a little bit unable to, to properly function Friday evening when writing the tips. So apologies to the, uh, to the readers of them. They weren't the best, but we'll be back uh, more than likely tomorrow with some golf tips for the upcoming weekend and uh, hoping to maintain that 100% record with the golf winners. Each, each week he says we're going to be back next week with the tips. <laughs> each, each week. I'm now having to look for a free lunch at work. <laughs> in fairness, I um, I did back Hideki Matsuyama in running Saturday, uh, and he went on My to boy win. As well, the only the only golf player I know. He went on to win by uh, by five shots in what could only be described as a demolition final round. Yeah, exactly. That, that was an in running. I feel like that was my own personal bet. If it had gone wrong, then I didn't want it in the neck from from Luke. Oh, <laughs> he just added it to the list. <laughs> Um, this Wednesday, I think the most second most interesting thing I've done this week is go to London with Cam, who's not joining us today, um, to go and see Brendan Schaub do a stand-up, if you can call it that, and a bit of talk on the UFC. Um, Cam showing his addict ways. Shortly into our into our trip, we're trying to kill some time. We've gone to Byron Burger first for the best meal I've had to date. <laughs> but one of them where you order it and then you see the size of the burger and you this isn't going to fit all in my mouth at once and I have to nibble around it while Cam's trying to film me eat it ketchup and mustard going all over my hands <laughs> there was no shame whatsoever got it down with some melted cheese and bacon fries it, uh, that, that photo that I sent to the spitballing group on Saturday where I had a, a triple burger on my weekend down in Brighton which was probably the largest burger I've ever seen in my life <laughs> Oh, I felt so ill after my food on Saturday, but we could have a whole new podcast on that. Um, after that, Cam, as I said, showing his addict ways, he's asked to go to the casino. We've gone in and he's given it the big in about how good he's been on roulette recently. and He wanted to go on the tables, I said. Strictly do not go on the tables. It's not going to go well. He goes up, giving it the big in. 20 quid, he hands over. And the woman says, oh, what chips do you want? Oh, I'll have it in ones, please. the minimum you can have on this table is fives (laughs) so he said oh it's okay I'll have my money back and she's just looked him dead in the face with a blunt once the money's touched the table I can't give you it back (laughs) (laughs) and he's gone oh okay so he's gone to put it in like the join between the two numbers if one of the fives and she's gone the minimum to put on that space is ten (laughs) (laughs) 
And he's looked at me and he's gone, oh my God. <laughs> so he's put the full 20 on, straight away lost. He's taken more money out to go on the machines, which we've both gone on. And there's like three different screens on the wall. And so we're on there. I've put my 20 and he's put another 20 in. And we've both loaded up on 10. First spin we've seen come in on the screen is gone on 10. And Cam's, it's on 10, it's on 10. And we're both shaking less. <laughs> and we're suddenly realising our screen hasn't moved. Next spin's come in. 35. I was out. Looked at Cam. What about you? Yeah, I don't have 35 either. <laughs> He's taken another 20 out then and, and then lost that. Come out and gone, you know, well, we'll just go and do kill some time now. Well, oh, there's a Labrooks over there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's gone and gone on the horses. Every single one that's lost. Oh, I was going to put a tenner on that. <laughs> <laughs> he's resorted to vir- virtual dogs and virtual horses. And he's claimed a 50 to 1's coming. He's gone, oh, you see, I was going to put it on that and I backed the wrong one. Okay. Yeah. Never seen a more unlucky man. <laughs> he said he was ready to oust you from the tips, Rory. <laughs> yeah. Again, as I said to Connor last week after that horrendous tip, leave the tip in to the professionals. <laughs> I'm waiting to find that professional. <laughs> I've just temporarily misplaced it. It will be back in the near future. Also, as, as we're all English, apart from Rory... Yeah, not apart from you. <laughs> if, I, if I carry on, well, we would have all been outraged at Shaw going in on Bispin and his cockeye. And then, wish I was there for that then, part. And then he's mentioned how he's made a bet that if Connor can last the twelve rounds, he'll put a dick pic online. And some bloke in the, like two seats down from me and Cam has just started screaming, going, "Yeah!" <laughs> 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 it was the weirdest thing. Um, Sunday I went to the Community Shield we should mention that Rob holding the new Cannavaro at the back Murtisaka, um having GBH committed on him by Gary Cahill uh, El Nenny the Prince of Egypt being <laughs> being almost having his Achilles ripped like House of Wax where they get the scissors and they trim the Achilles that's what Pedro's done to El Nenny and then Sayad Kalasanax pops up at the back post ready to let Courtois take a goal kick into the stands. Arsene Wenger does it again. We've won the treble already. Emirates Cup, that poverty China trophy. And... <laughs> <laughs> what do you want it? We got a friend. We got a cup just for literally for beating Bayern Munich on penalties. <laughs> and then the Community Shield, obviously coming from behind against Chelsea. Obviously. I, th- I thought you might have given a mention wait, wait. to uh, to Shane Burgos in that highlights of the week. Before we go back, you say you come back to beat Chelsea. From 1-0 down. To 1-1 and you beat them on penalties. <laughs> it's not coming back to beat them. Yes, it is. You won on penalties. We've come, we've come from behind and beat them. That's coming back to beat them. <laughs> um, and, and unless anyone else has got anything else interesting, the only other thing is uh, later in the episode you'll be able to hear an interview with uh, UFC prospect Shane Burgos. So finally managed to get him on the phone this week. Um, anyone else got anything they want to go in with? I thought, um, obviously Rory mentioned he had the burger down in uh, Brighton and I thought he had a few sausages as well down that weekend. <laughs> um, no, no, I didn't actually. I I was down there for uh, what's called Pride, which is kind of a, what I can only describe as, as a very accepting society. Um, there was a few sights, and it's probably one of the more mental walks from a train station I've ever had in my life. 
Uh, when I discovered there's actually no taxes because they close all of the roads for a parade. They have Pride in America as well. So yeah, when yeah. people know you've been to Pride, it's yeah. fine. Um, I wasn't actually going. I was going down to visit my girlfriend, I will point out. <laughs> no, come on. If, if you say you were going, we might get a few more rankings on uh, iTunes. Girlfriend called Troy. Put <laughs> <laughs> Troy in that bracket. <laughs> Different Troy. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. All right. To kick off uh, this episode, we have got the Premier League starting this Friday. So if we kind of do our preview of the season, it might be interesting to listen to this back at the end of the year. If we go in on uh, who's going to be uh, winning the league, who's going to get top four, who's going to be relegated, and then maybe a couple of standout players and who will be uh, the player of the season. Okay, so um, if we go straight into it, we've got Arsenal-Leicester kicking off off the league. Rory, you look eager to go. Who are you going to have in your top four? Well, top four, running from first to Actually, fourth. Should we start with relegated? Okay, we're well, into top four. Okay, then we'll start with relegated. We go uh, 18th through to 20th. 18th, I'm going for Watford. Um, I feel like this might be the season that they just finally just piss off out of the league. Nobody really wants them in there anyway. Nobody likes Watford. Uh, in 19th is my uh, adventure of the weekend, Brighton. <laughs> Actually played Atletico Madrid over the weekend. Um, so I was down there for that as well. And they scored two. Yeah. <laughs> All accounts, a very good game. Um, so I'm going for them in 19th. I just feel like the teams coming up this year uh, might not be the strongest. And uh, in 20th, I'm going for Huddersfield. Uh, one season up, going straight back down. I thought you sounded depressed last week. I think it's just your voice. It's uh, the same as mine. It's well, just... I wonder what you were laughing at. I was thinking there's nothing that I'm reading. Probably. No, last, Probably. Week, last week when he was talking about Coutinho leaving, I was thinking he that, sounds incredibly upset. Topic, yeah, we had Kyrie as well. That was even worse. <laughs> and I've seen now it is literally just your voice. Clearly, the Saturday down in Brighton hasn't worn off for me that much. <laughs> All right, if we pass on to Connor then, and then we'll get his uh, three to be relegated. I don't think there's too much of a breakdown on this one. Yeah, so running uh, back from where Rory's left off, um, 18th, I'm going to go with Swansea. I think um, looking like they're going to lose Sigurdsson by the looks of things, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to replace him, actually. Um, And I think he's such a key player for them that they'll miss him. Um, obviously talk of Lorente potentially leaving again if he does leave where do the goals come from um, they sort of just managed to escape last year and I think they may we may see the end of them this year um, similar to Roy the other two I'm going to go with the same I don't know who's going to go 19th 20th but I think it's going to be between them two um, I know obviously Rory mentioned Watford but I think with Marco Silva taking over I think that's a good appointment for them and if they can get a few more players in I know they've signed uh, Chalaba uh, I think that's a good signing for them. And if they get one or two more, I think they should be pretty comfortable this year. All right, then, if uh, Alex can have his first mention on this week's podcast. Alex, if you give us your uh, bottom three, and then we'll go to TK, and then I'll, I'll finish this off. So I'm not going to be too much different. Uh, I've got one maybe potential controversial choice, uh, but I'm going to have uh, Huddersfield and Brighton going down. Um, but I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to slip Leicester in there. I think Leicester might be in a spot above this year. Just that mentality. I think that I think that mentality is just <laughs> going to continue to go down for them. To be honest, um, I'm not. I don't think they've got a solid uh, managerial choice in who they've got at the moment. 
Um, I know they've signed um, Inacho yeah. from City, who potentially could be a good signing for them. But uh, Mares is still potentially on the move. Yeah. Um, I just think just that downward spiral from where they were last year might continue. To be honest, I just I, I could just oh, call me out on it at the end of the year when they uh, <laughs> when they punch for top four out of blue. But but no, I think um, I think Leicester might be in a spot of bother. All right, let's bring TK in. Outrageous from Jones back in. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to go too shocking um, in terms of, I think Huddersfield bottom, I think they could be our own um, Derby County. If they make double figures, I reckon they'll have done all right. <laughs> uh, Brighton, I think, might surprise a few people. I think they could do a little better than anticipated, but I think still will ultimately go down. Um, and after this, it's a bit of a struggle. I can see Watford struggling a bit in has been inconsistent but I think Silva's a good manager I think Swansea will go down even if they keep Sigurdsson but if they get rid of him I think they'll definitely go I can't see a way in which they get someone in for him I can see why they're asking for a lot of money um, <laughs> but I can't see even if they do get a lot of money and who they're going to bring in anyway who's going to be attracted to the club so I'm going to say Swansea's go down I think your Newcastle boys might struggle a little bit as well because they look a bit yeah, Benitez Swan- is struggling to get his signings in, yeah. and he's not. Swansea, I probably would doubt a bit more, but I think with Clement there, they look like even without the players, I think they're going to be more tactically astute than some of the other clubs towards the bottom. It could be a battle between him and Silver again, like it was with him. Yeah. when he was at Hull, wasn't he? Which, yeah, that was a good little battle. Um, I'm going to go with Brighton bottom. You said it about uh, Huddersfield. I think they could genuinely be the derby. I said it when they got promoted, so I'm going to. Kind of have to stick with it. Okay. Um, then Huddersfield, and I think Burnley. I think their time, <laughs> their wow. time's over, and I'm not going to be too shocked. I think they're one of the bookies' favourites to go down. And I think that's probably fair. Disrespecting Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche is top <laughs> of my list of um, maybe not top. He's definitely near the top of the list of people I just would not want to be shouted at. He looks absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um. Probably a better one to go on to. So if we go on to our top four predictions, um, well, you got a mic there, TK, if you kick us off and then uh, it's probably going to be down to me and Connor to tear you apart. You look eager for what I'm about to say. Here. <laughs> well, I'm unfortunately, fairly predicted we're going to go with City top. Just how I feel like they might have a bit too much for the rest of the league. Um, I can see them using, doing their usual and shitting out in the Champions League as well, which might actually help them league-wise. <laughs> um... Second, I don't enjoy saying this. I'm going to say Arsenal. On wow. the bait, listen, wow. I told you you're not going to like what I've got to say. I told you. Wow. On the basis of, I think they've, if they keep if they keep the squad as it is, I think they've actually got a better squad than I give them credit for. When I saw them beat Chelsea, I did then see walking around in shirt and ties was fucking Ozil, Sanchez, Cazola. Mustafi, you've read way too much into this community shield. No, not it's not purely on that, but yeah, maybe. I, I think they've got <laughs> coming from the Liverpool for fans when they won the League Cup. <laughs> <laughs> for what it's worth, I do think it's going to be a distant second as well. I'm not certain. It's going to be close. Um, then I'm going to say yeah, I've probably got to say United on the basis of, I think Lukaku scored enough to get them up there, um, and then. Can't not put Liverpool in the top four as a fan, which is maybe a little bit higher overhead. <laughs> I think if Spurs had made one or two signings, then I wouldn't have 
been able to help but put them up there. But I think they're kind of standing still at a time when others are moving forward. And I think the extra games of the Champions League will have an effect on a squad that's maybe not the biggest. I think if they weren't in that, I, I think Spurs are the most... They're built to last and I think they would be there, but... We've ascertained Spurs have got themselves in a position to actually do some business and then now they're just going to put all the money into their stadium. I'd like to add, Arsenal have now also won more at Spurs' new stadium than Spurs have after yesterday. So we should probably mark that down just like White Hart Lane. Um... <laughs> And oh, so being Wembley, I mean, a few clubs have won yeah. stuff at Wembley. Yeah, but, but not, since, not, since, not since it's been Spurs Stadium. Spurs Stadium <laughs> was as of yesterday and already. Um, Connor, after wowing TK's claims, will go on to you. Still trying to get over his Arsenal shot, actually. Um, for me, it, it's still a lot to go on. I think until the transfer window closes, it's difficult to get a bearing because I think there will be a lot of late signings and I think there will still be a few big signings to come in from from the top teams I think for me it's a battle out of United and City to finish top I think those two would be 1-2 dependent on whether City sign maybe another defender could could be the difference Um, and again if United sign another another forward player whether they get Perisic in or obviously there is the big talk of, of Bale at the moment I've, I don't think it will happen. I'd be very, very, very surprised. But I think obviously that would be a complete difference maker. Um, third, I'm going to go with... I was going to say Chelsea, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll go I'll go Chelsea third. And then I'm going to go... If Liverpool keep Coutinho, Liverpool fourth. If they don't, Spurs fourth. And then Arsenal. <laughs> so do, if Arsenal keeps Sanchez, which I don't know whether they will or not, it's still to be decided. It's a it's a free horse race between those three to finish fourth for me. I. It depends. The end of the transfer window will will say a lot. I think I'll go. I'll go back to that when we get back to the end of the transfer window. All right, I'll brush past that just to go with the Sanchez comment. He is staying. It was put in the paper today. Sanchez has finally come to terms with that he's staying at Arsenal. He doesn't have to come to terms with it. He doesn't have a choice. So he is staying. How long is his contract? How long has he got left? Another year. year. Another year. Yeah. If he wants to leave, he Come on, we'll we'll save this. Because we might get a bit No, we've got top four predictions to do first. and I want everything to be picked up on Mike. Give Gary another shout out because we don't want to displease him. Um, if we bring Alex in for his top four now, after his uh, original ones, I'm waiting to stoke in his top four. Let's hear his. So I've got, I'm, I'm going to put it down. So I think it's going to be a battle of the Manchester clubs for the top two. And I'm going to put Mourinho out on top with Man United top. Yeah, I'm going to have Man United win the league this year. Uh, Man City a close second. Um, I'm going to have Chelsea in third, but I think there will be quite a gap between second and third. Um, I am a Spurs fan um, and reluctantly I am going to put Arsenal in fourth position um, I do think they have made some good signings this year um, I still think they lack the spine and mentality to actually win anything uh, but I think the thing is ask me in a couple of, if we've won the last two available competitions <laughs> the, uh, the yeah but we're talking about the big ones the, the ones that matter 
the ones that you want. <laughs> the, we know what they want. They yeah. want that fourth place trophy. <laughs> <laughs> they want it back. But yeah, though, I think... Um, uh, like if Spurs, you see, if you a couple of weeks time, um, if Spurs make a couple of uh, couple of signings, not you know massive world changing signings, but just a couple of signings, I might have put them in my top four because I still think we have got one of the best units in the league, and I'm a firm believer in a solid spine will win you the league, um, which I think Arsenal lack. But the uh, <laughs> if you had signed, if you had signed Matic, if you had somehow got Matic from Chelsea, I re- I, th- I think that would have been a really good signing for We've you. Got but yeah, yeah, Jacques is all about spine. <laughs> he is. I've just, I've just thought, but before I, I forget this, after Alex has said I've been a Spurs fan, went to the Emirates Cup with Sean last weekend. It's usually a lot of just Mexican waves and all that garbage, so I just go to watch the games. There's a within about two minutes of the game starting, there's a chance of stand up if you ate Tottenham, which I couldn't be dealing with. I look to my right and Sean's on his feet. <laughs> Bless him. Clapping. Yeah, but he, proper pumping into it as well. He doesn't he, he doesn't really know what's going on a lot of the time. He doesn't really does he really know where he was. <laughs> All right. R- Rory, if we can have your attention for a few minutes. Uh of course. Give, us, I'm your, here for. give us your top four. Um okay, so my top four, just uh dig it up off the phone. Uh in first place I'm going for City. Um, oh, I was gonna say Liverpool. Jesus. Calm yourself. I think that, yeah, City will win the league. Second, I'm going to go for Liverpool. (laughs) (laughs) I I genuinely believe that they will have enough firepower to blow away a lot of teams this season. You've made me do Um, the Farrow before we start talking about it. In the recent few minutes, Virgil van Dijk has now officially handed in a transfer request. So, uh, welcome to Merseyside, Virgil. Uh, We will soon be shoring up that back line with the Dutch masterpiece. (laughs) less about that Uh, in third I'm going for United I don't want to really say anything about them and in fourth I'm going for Chelsea Uh, it's going to be a dark year for North London did did TK and Connor both leave Chelsea at their top fours I've I've got Chelsea in sixth they're shitting out 100% as well I completely believe that I did have them in third but thinking about it they really do need to sign some players I think are they Conte looks like Cent- he's lost it. Putting Cent- Courtois Cent- take a second penalty tells you Cent- you're losing Cent- your fucking head. Central midfield, they're, I don't know, they've even sent Loftus-Cheek out on loan. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not like Chalab- him to have a loan Chal- spell. <laughs> Chalaber, gone. Matic, gone. Bakayoko's injured. Fabregas and, and Kante, which is... Did you see Cahill said um, Courtois stepped up. He, he's a confident penalty taker. He's taken them for us recently. His last one he took was in a friendly against PSG in 2015. <laughs> But this is what we've been waiting for. My top four. If you're going to put your money on, this is where to put it. In fourth. I've just looked on my list. I've got Arsenal twice and one of them is in fourth. (laughs) 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 I meant Chelsea in fourth. I'm not having them shit out quite as much as TK is. I do think the squad's... Their squad isn't thin. They just loan half of it out. (laughs) So it's probably not that thin, but yeah, I'll go Chelsea in fourth, uh, United in third, <laughs> Arsenal in second, and uh, City in first. I think when you're going to give a manager as much money as you're going to give Pep, then 
he, it's not like he's a slouch as a manager. He's probably not quite as good as his results suggest, but he probably is. If you're being given about a billion to spend in one summer, then you're going to do some business. Uh, it's not the end of the window yet. He's going to keep going. Arsenal, I think, uh, when we announced Thomas Lamar, fingers crossed. I haven't seen any of him other than the game against Spurs, but I'll take their word for it. He's French, and if Wenger signs him, then make make Arsenal French again. Um, Frogs. What's today about... uh... Now, generally, Barcelona are interested in him. No, you... I've got a bone to pick about this. Oh, oh. Sky Sports breaking news did that. They do this. They then promote you to put a bet on with Sky Bet. They put it on, and then about a day later, Barca withdraw their interest in Thomas yeah. Lamar. Yeah. They do it all the time. They do. they do. I'm not having that. Scumbags. <laughs> they, have, they, have, they have done that previously a lot. I saw a thing today with... Uh, a list of the Catalonia press and who they've said they're close to signing and there's about 10 players Coutinho being one of them but there was also nine others so I don't know how much you can take into that um, so yeah that's my top four I think the only change could be if Arsenal go up to first <laughs> you, look, you all look a bit more surprised than I thought you would for a start, I'm sure you all knew this was <laughs> this was going to happen. In an honest assessment, do you, do you genuinely believe that they could win the league this year? Um, yeah, Wenger in, as I've always been. Wow, what? Uh, um, I've, <laughs> I've seen the players we've signed, Lacazette. Say a Kolasinac. <laughs> talking, uh, talking about signings, um, out of all the big signings that the Premier League's brought in this year, who do you think is going to be the one that, that flops? That like say that you know Lukaku or Morata. Personally, for me, I think like and this why I haven't put Chelsea batting for the title. I think Morata's going to be the one who doesn't shine as much as we would like. Matic, Matic, yeah. Lacazette, not playing tennis. This is this is this is not a case of me. Yeah, Morata for me. Lacazette, just because. The pressure really is on him. He's this goal scorer that you've been waiting for for all of these years. Since Henri's left, this is who you've been waiting for. The pressure is on him. And he hasn't done a lot so far. It's one of those positions where if he doesn't bag a few goals out of the block, the pressure's going to be on and it's only going to build and build and build and build. Can I say, if if we compare every Arsenal striker to Henri, then we're probably not ever going to have another (laughs) one like that. We haven't had that many bad strikers. Bentner? Class act. <laughs> let's, let's stop that there. Eduardo. All right, we turned it into a joke now. Would have won the league in 08 if uh, that Birmingham thug. What? You've lost your own. 10 points clear at the point of his injury. I mean, Galas, Galas had a meltdown. Yeah, your whole team. Well, that's because Galas screamed at Clichy in the middle of the pitch and settled the team. Did nasty to him? <laughs> oh, bless. Did, did they see a nasty injury for Eduardo? Oh. <laughs> it's been a nasty injury. It was disgusting. Yeah, probably like he's about to cry on the pitch. He threw up on the pitch. <laughs> Embarrassing. 
Bill Backbone goes back to no, that. That comment that you just said sums up Arsenal. Yeah. He was shouting at him on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's typical Arsenal. Excuse and then me, all these other clubs kept winning against us. <laughs> Would you believe it? <laughs> I could probably have this for most teams. Connor, last time your player had an injury, your team wore t-shirts out before the game <laughs> in honour of him because he had a little injury. Yes. But let's, oh. this is going to get a bit messy here as well. So if we just continue... Whenever it starts to get a bit on Arsenal, just, let's, let's get away from this. Let's get on back on topic. No, I think if I ask for the surprise package of the season and then we'll move on, I'll kick us off. The strike partnership of Dwight Gale and uh, Mitrovic. <laughs> wow. The best little and large partnership since uh, Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn. They're going to take the Premier the League fa- by storm this year. I'm being deadly serious. The fact that in an attempt to build up Newcastle, you've talked about a legendary Sunderland <laughs> partnership as well. <laughs> with Raffer, the Jordans won't thank you for that. With Rafa in charge. That's their only plus point. I have to embrace Newt. There's enough pictures of me now in a Newcastle shirt. <laughs> if we're going to lose 21, I hope it's then. You've got to go all in on them now. Yeah, you're right. The problem is with them is, is Rafa going to stay by the sounds of it? I mean, there's a lot of talk of him not you know Mike Ashley not backing him enough in the transfer window he's, he's too big for the club really they're obviously a big club but he could, he could go to any well he, he could have went to a top six team in my opinion in, in the Premier League and not that big club either Devin, but uh, yeah Everton would he have, get out of here he's not going to Everton is he come on <laughs> would, he, would he have been an Everton contender had he not been at Newcastle no do you not think <laughs> no Come on. Not for the reasons TK's saying, because he was happy enough to go to Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like you've actually got to live in Liverpool and get out of it. You can do it in London, that's all right. No, I've, I do think um, he seems happy enough. In, they're obviously paying him a decent wedge. I'm not saying any other team So he's in for the money? I'm sure that is part <laughs> of it, because he said he was, wasn't sure about staying. And it's probably nice, because he's going to be one of those people where can probably do quite a bit wrong and he's not going to have much stick on him. A bit like um, Jose at United where they've gone this far in praising him that it's very hard now to slate him. Same as um, with Pogba. Yeah. Same as Arsenal with Ozil. You, once you've gone so far, it's very hard to be able to go back. Yeah, yeah. And you almost, and you don't want to because once you go, then everyone else is going to start. Rafa just flexes muscle he? he seems to want to more like control over transfers and stuff. And look at his track record. He tried selling Xabi Alonso to get Gareth Barry. So why wouldn't you trust him with lots of money? <laughs> Mike Ashley as well. It's kind of like, why would you keep putting money into the club when he definitely wants to get rid of it? So He's been thinking, if I put more money in, someone's going to buy it for the last about five years. You can't trust... Sports Direct's been closing for about 100 years. You can't trust anything with him. Yeah, the way they treated Kieran McCord in Boston. <laughs> Justice for them. Um, has anyone else got any surprise packages they want to mention before we move on yeah there's a couple um, I would say Bournemouth I think have got uh, potentially a a good squad brewing I think they could go quite well this season Defoe now as well haven't they yeah I, I think they've got probably more goals than they had last year and I suppose uh, they are kind of in a good position managerial wise I think Eddie Howe's quite highly thought of uh, as a manager and you know he's still quite young so he's probably learning all the time um, and I think if Leicester sign um, in Acho, I they think... Have, they, they've confirmed him now. They, they have confirmed yeah, him Yeah, they've now. confirmed him. Um, 
I am hearing that Riyad Mahrez might be off, but if they could keep hold of, of Mahrez as well. He was playing in the Community Shield yesterday. If you didn't see Walcott, he's decided that Arsenal are interested in him, so he's just trying to morph. <laughs> he's got the hair and he's got, on, he's got a bit more of a tan. And he's got a little tash coming as well. <laughs> he looks literally just the spitting image of Mahrez. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose, can you call Leicester a surprise package after they won the league? Um, but I mean, in terms, if you look at it from a betting standpoint, they're obviously not really expected to do a lot. But I think that if you took purely their second half of the season last year, then they would have been a lot better than they would have been. Yeah, before we... Granted their first half. Before we move on, I'm sure TK probably wants to say a bit about um, Hernandez. If we uh, pass it on to him, he's been calling him the signing of the season how say how many goals he's going to bag so I assume you would say maybe not the surprise of the season but maybe one of the golden packages of the season are we just talking about him himself or West Ham as a oh as no a certainly not West Ham they're the only team I trust more than Arsenal to screw themselves over yeah yeah exactly definitely I feel like West Ham on paper you thought oh they've done okay here but that's still fun away fucking up yeah, I think what, 16 million money that's, you've got as close to sort of a guaranteed sort of goal scorer as you're going to get for at least half the price that anyone you're going to get anyone else for close to that ability. I don't know why. People like him, Ian Archer for £25 million as well. Unbelievable business. I'd say Liverpool probably need a out-and-out striker. I think we've got some good forwards, but not out-and-out strikers. I don't know why we didn't have a look. We love a um, cheap one. David, uh, is it Gold? Is it that their owner? Yeah, he said they had an option on Ian Archer <laughs> and they passed it up to sign Jordan Ayew. Awful decision. <laughs> and why would you own up to that? <laughs> <laughs> absolute bunch of clowns if they had Ian Acho and Hernandez that would unreal if Ian Acho was English he'd have been treble that price by the way yeah definitely um, anyone else anyone they want to mention before we move on uh, I'm going to like as a surprise package for the season um, uh, it's a bit of an obvious surprise package um, but Everton um, I think if we're going to see any surprise moves into the top four out of nowhere I'd like throw it out there a bit of an obvious one again if Rooney somehow returns home, sparks an unbelievable spree. It's you never shame. know. It's a, it's a shame Cam's not on. He would have absolutely loved you. <laughs> but no, I just I think they have had a good transfer window. Um, I think they've got a really good manager behind them in uh, in Kuma. Com- uh, but the um, I think I think if Rooney starts to get on a bit of a roll, momentum builds behind the squad, enthusiasm rises. I think we might see uh, like realistically, it's a far fetched, far fetched. Uh, um, choice but you never know um, we're still living in the area where Leicester can win the league so to have uh, to have Everton just punching into the top four on a good transfer window and just you know they did look really good in parts of last season they get a good uh, bit of momentum together I think they could be punching and causing some damage on sort of those top top five top six teams at the moment I agree I agree with Alex actually and um, and with Rory both their picks with Leicester and uh, Everton I think both of those I think Everton could actually push for top four if they were to sign an out-and-out striker. Obviously, there's talk of them with Drew. If... <laughs> this, this is not me. This is not me. But there has been a lot... Obviously, Sigurdsson, they, they, Coman said now, is, is very close. So you imagine that's going to get done over the line. He wouldn't say that. You know, Managers don't tend to talk about other, other teams' players without that being very close. I think if they are to get a, a top striker to, to go in there as well, I think they would be very close to pushing top four as long as they can be consistent. Uh, the other one, which I think could be a surprise package, is Crystal Palace. Um, I think with uh, De Boer coming in now, uh, they've made some half decent signings so far. 
few young lads in, Loftus-Cheek on loan. And today they also got uh, Fossi Mensah on loan from United. I think the way that the Dutch play with the young lads, I think he could surprise a few few people uh, this season, actually. One final thing from myself. Sadio Mane will be player of the year this year. Right, we'll we'll leave it on that. We'll leave, we'll leave it on that exposure on that uh, exposure of Connor as he just talked about the way the Dutch play with the young lads. <laughs> we'll move on. Bofara refused to speak to the media this week amid fresh claims that he's been using PEDs. Uh, so the question here, I guess, is uh, can Athletics survive another high-profile case of doping? Just to give the background on Farah as to what he's done before Alex gets to grips with him. Um, he essentially said that the media were trying to make something out of nothing. So his PR team advised him not to speak to anyone. Um, the IAAF marked him as a likely doper in a report. And um, the media can't say that. There's too many legal teams and injunctions in place. So literally no one can call him a doper without having all kinds of paperwork on their desk I can't find the right word then um, but his, his coach um, Alberto Salazar is also under investigation by the United States Anti-Doping Agency over plenty of uh, previous allegations um, and Farah has been unable to shake off questions surrounding the two missed drugs tests he had up until up before the London 2012 Olympics and there's plenty more to come but I'm sure we'll get into that Alex if you want to kick us off um, first of all Come to that at the end. So what do you think on Mo Farah? Do you think he's right not to speak to the media? And do you think there's uh, some smoke there to go with the fire? Um, I think for him to avoid the media like he is doing at the moment is, um, well, I think it's showing a bit of uh, fatigue on his part in terms of can he keep this act up for much longer? Uh, <laughs> um, just like just before we really go into this, I just want to say I... I when I look at like you know the GB team at the moment, I try it. How Mo Farah is presented in other countries um, is not how the British media present him in terms of like how he's definitely you know not doper. He's you know God's gift. He's an absolute and amazing athlete. He's completely clean. You know GB athletes. None of them dope. We're all clean. I mean it. It really gets under my skin that I was watching the 10k uh, final uh, a couple of nights ago, and I was the only one in my family. I got my head bitten off, uh, like for saying that he was a doper in my family. I was like, you watched him cross that finish line um, after pretty much cruising that entire 10k race. Um, he crossed that finish line, and he wasn't even out of breath. Um, he looked so composed across that finish line. You had his competitors around him, um, who I'm not saying, uh, you know doping free either um but it's they were much more fatigued than they were and to to win a world championship 10k final that composed i mean it just had the whiff of uh armstrong in how composed he looked tearing up some of those mountains in the tour de france back in that era um and a lot of the way that he's dealing with the media at the moment as well uh with uh avoiding a lot of it he, he's the only athlete in the whole world championships that refused to speak to the media mm, he wasn't allowed to be used as any of the promotional material uh for uh and look i i completely understand you know if he was clean and he's just sick of having this uh persona built up that he's a doper and he genuinely just didn't want to do he just couldn't handle it and it would affect his performance but at the end of the day you are a professional athlete you are one of the most loved icons in your country's sport and uh, and you're avoiding media questions. Well, um, 
what his PR team said as to why he won't and why he can get away with it is they said that Mo not speaking to the media still won't affect the amount of volume he's going to get in his cheers on the day. So, looks like he... Just to go back, I'm not sure on what each individual kind of steroid does, but they said this year more fresh concerns have come to light about some uh, improper documentation that's been found to do with a legal L-cartonine infusion he received before the 2014 London Marathon, and then a document from the IAAF saying he was... um, likely doping and that further data is required next to his name and this was on a list of things but there's all these injunctions in place so that certain things can't be printed about him yeah it was his doctor that came forward to a parliamentary committee that uh, revealed that bit of information um, and alongside that it was apparently uh, a rubber to, uh, his coach salazar that encouraged that injection in the first place and it's just like why would your coach be encouraging uh, any sort of medical medical uh, injections of any form that's surely you know he needs to worry about what he's doing on the track not what's going into his body from an athletical enhancement point of view um there was another leak uh, recently um from one of the you know the worldwide contra- the uh, infamous uh, hacking sites uh, that hacked the IAAF um and it was uh, they released a document detailing loads of the you know big athletes in the world um Mo Farah being one of them and it was uh it was a tag that was put on his uh, his uh, uh, drug testing passport, and it was basically labelled um, against his results in 2015. Uh, note: likely doping, passport suspicious. Further data is required. You know, it's just sort of it, it's a reoccurring theme, and you begin to ask yourself, you know, it, it's almost obvious, and it just, you know, will it eventually come out? Um, and we're just just waiting now to you know and i i think part of me thinks that it will be too big a blow for the athletic world um particularly for the gb side of things um and maybe he will never be touched maybe he will be under this this web of protection and influence where he will be protected for a long period of time um we might not know but yeah it's if if we bring uh, rory in and then tk cause we kind of covered the background of it there. If we say to you, Rory, do you think that athletics could come back from strictly Farah if he was to be popped? Do you think that it could come back from that, or do you think he's not quite of not quite high profile enough for it to make that much of a dent? Um, I, I think that I've slightly looked at this a little bit of a different way in terms of I don't think athletics is in the strongest place already. I mean, it's probably on the decline. I mean, what I would describe myself or anyone else that I know, we might watch the Olympics, we might watch the World Championships, but we're not tuning in for the Diamond League of, of a weekend. Um, I, th- I think it is it is a bit of a decline in sport, and the only time we really hear of it outside of those big competitions is, oh, there's been another scandal in athletics, XYZ's been busted for uh, illegal substances, which is a shame, but obviously you know, not every person is going to like every sport. And perhaps we do just get behind it because it is the Olympics, which is kind of like the, you know, the blue ribbon of sport. It's the most viewed sporting event in the world, the Olympics. When it comes around, it beats the beats the, the World football Cup, football world. Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, but I, I, I find that if any more sort of very high profile, your Bolts, your Farahs, you know, you, I suppose Farah might be slightly different for us because we are from Great Britain. We'll get on to you saying Bolts. Yeah. Okay. But I feel like. 
if a you know a major athlete perhaps for us it would be Farah worldwide it would obviously probably need to be somebody else uh, if they got busted then yeah perhaps we might be looking at a position where can athletics necessarily get back I mean for me does any sort of average fan mind watching somebody who's been busted for drugs I mean it just it just means they they run faster and we get to watch more world records be smashed that that's purely me saying that that's not my own personal view but I mean you know does does the average fan really mind I think I think you do I think it's one of them where if it's happening you'd rather not know yeah yeah that's fair if 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 we bring TK in um just my say on Farah would be that I'm not sure UK athletics could come back from it because Farah is such a big icon. But in terms of world athletics, I'm not sure it would be too much of a hit because there are bigger names than him out there. What about you, TK? Yeah, no, I was I was going to go with that to be honest. I think GB-wise, I think we'd be struggling massively. The the other thing with it is is that people like him, Jessica Ennis, um, what's the long jumper? What was his name? Rutherford. They were, they've all kind of been built up as role models that the kids should follow and they're going to get in through that. So if you're then revealed as a drugs cheat, the whole thing just kind of falls flat on its face. The whole, if you had a kind of quid for every time you said legacy of 2012, you'd be a rich, rich man. And that's completely tainted there. I think we're going to get onto Bolton yeah. and that sort of thing. But the whole, the Gatlin beating thing after that, I think is a kind of, is a lasting thing that you remember People said the year before when he beat him in the Olympics, or two years before, sorry, that it's kind of good versus evil, and that the the guy who was clean has beat the guy on the drugs. Yeah. So now a year later, the guy on the drugs is beating the guy who's yeah. clean. That kind of stays with you, and I think similar to what you said in terms of, I think everyone's kind of being suspected now. You're watching yeah. it and you're thinking, well, who's clean, who's on it, and. Do you trust like anything that's going on there? Is it like integrity in the sport? Yeah. Are you watching thinking I'm watching a genuine contest? Or are you watching who's on the best juice? Because yeah, Alex has just mentioned then that Farah has been knighted as well. So there's a certain reputation he should be upholding. And if it was be, then it's kind of an embarrassment to the country as a whole. If if it is that he's done, because he's our kind of, would you say he's our, he's our poster boy? You would probably save him and Joshua for our... Olympics well, athletics ironic. teams, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's a bit of a national embarrassment that he's been knighted and he advertises corn mints. <laughs> <laughs> That's not being looked at closely enough. But, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Savile got knighted in this, so you can't read into it too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly what I was just about to say, actually. Yeah. And Alex Ferguson. <laughs> Connor, what about what about you? Do you do you think? UK athletics before we move on to more say the world stage could come back from it yeah I was kind of going to say mention it about Mo but I think it's kind of um, British athletics have kind of done this where they've maybe sort of bit the hand that feeds them a little bit where they've tried to make athletics this more popular sport and tried to make it into more of a brand by having as TK said with uh, Farah Ennis and Rutherford as these sort of big people you know they're going to be the poster people whereas there is, there does seem to be this like secret with Mo Farah where it tends to be that there's always this worry, and that they are kind of hiding something. Um, an interesting thing that I saw after the run the other night was that um, Oliver Holt, the one of the main journalists at the Daily Mail, he went off on one on Twitter saying to some GB athlete, and he was saying to Stan Collymore, um, everyone seems to know 
who the drug cheats are, but nobody will name them. And he said, I know that you know who they are. And he kept saying these to about two or three different people who were sort of well known in the media. And he said, you've got the backing of, you know, whoever you'll follow, you know, TalkSport or whoever. You should name these people. And all of them replied, you know, we can't name these people. You know, we can't. We haven't got the correct facts to do it. But it seemed like they all knew who they were talking about, but they couldn't put the name out there, which maybe goes to show that it is someone of a high profile like Mo Farah. I'm sure we know probably who they are. Farah, Greg Rutherford. He's on the juice. Yeah. <laughs> and the team, the Team GB cycling team. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Absolutely loaded. Yeah. Wiggins, that thing still doesn't sit right with me, where he took um, the supplement that wasn't banned, but it's like to deal with heart failure or something like that, and it just helps your lung capacity and things like that. And because it's not banned, he takes it despite the fact that it's not helping like a health condition. I think the integrity there... Is is horrific. This the cycling team with how dominant they are as well. They're almost like Farah in terms of when that comes out, it's not going to look good at all. And cycling is damaged goods as it is. I've also I've got a, a list of some of the GB uh, names. Uh, Alex Jones being at the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's one time contaminated me. I tell you. <laughs> but just um, for like what what you do, Alex, with the um, triathlons. Do you like? Do you get tested, and how often is it that you get tested? Um, so, to be honest, at the moment, so I'm not at the stage where I'm gonna I'm getting knocks on hotel doors and you know yeah. spotlight immediately checks before and after a race. Um, but uh, there is a growing um, growing systems growing in place now where they're testing not only the pros uh, but the uh, the top age groupers that are just breaking into the professional field, which is about where the sort of the where I put myself in that category and even just general age groupers as well now um that I mean don't get me wrong uh, the doping agencies are fighting back more and more and more by punching more resources in it not just um uh the uh, the professional levels now but also at the low professional levels semi professional and amateur and just general entry levels as well I'll uh, I'll never forget this story I was told uh, by um an old work colleague uh that you used to work with a lot of uh, local rugby players. Um, I won't name the local rugby club, um, but it was a sort of a, one of those random spot checks done by some of the uh, the uh, doping agencies on like local low level clubs. And uh, basically, the uh, the coaches there the week before it was going to happen uh, gave the players a week's notice to basically, uh, if they had taken anything in the last few months, they like basically don't turn up to training next week. <laughs> so the day comes round <laughs> and of like the squad of like 20 plus two lads show up <laughs> uh, and they're both like just like <laughs> fringe just like about old enough to play in that age category uh, probably have no idea what was going on probably terrified the test was happening full stop but I think that just um, it shows you know that the agencies are doing a lot at the lower levels to try and promote a better culture of you know it's not what we're about it's not what the sport sport in general is about about who's got on the best juice uh, but it, I think it also it shows, uh, you know, how bad it is at low levels as well. That it's like, you know, at low levels, you know, guys, girls, uh, you know, taking these banned substances to, you know, try and look up to their idols, really. What's the worst juice now? OJ? Or what Mo Farah is taking? <laughs> that can be a topic for next week. 
if we if we move on, then we've got we had the hundred meters final this weekend where Gatlin upset the fairy tale and beat Bolt in his final ever singles race, his final singles race. Um, and Gatlin, having previously failed two drugs tests, is what's upset many people. But we were looking at some of the statistics that we were going through, and Bolt, we're thinking, may not be as innocent as he could be. The The most prominent stat was, among the 30 fastest ever 100-metre times, 19 of the times were recorded by athletes who were later caught doping, and the 11 remaining times were recorded by Bolt. Which is absolutely outrageous. It's statistics like that that make you think, is it really that obvious? Have we like, is it like literally slap bang in the face, but we're just caught under this, uh, this just this image of perfection that is Bolt? Well, I saw a like a channel of tweets earlier where there was, someone was talking about this, and the top tweet said, "No, Bolt is just naturally gifted. Um, this is what he does. No one's as good as him." And the first reply said, "Yeah, that's what I used to say about Lance Armstrong." And then someone underneath that has said that Armstrong has essentially meant they'll never trust another top-level athlete ever again. The thing, I guess, with football is you can have the PDs to maybe extend your energy levels, how hard you can kick a ball and things like that, but you still have to have the talent there. Whereas I know you obviously have to have the talent for athletics, but in something that is literally just a foot race. Bolts, I think... To go back to the actual question, Bolt would be one where it it couldn't be survived if Bolt was to get popped for doping because he is literally the most iconic athlete that there has been. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be almost like poetic um that in his final race uh, he's been beaten by a drugs cheat, symbolising that like the drugs will always catch up with you at the end of the day. It's, it's a bit of that. That's the headline when it all comes out eventually. Personally, I think I think Bolt is untouchable. I think that he is so big. I mean, he is worldwide. He is the face of. He's the face of the Olympics in a lot of people's eyes. I think for him to be taken down, if he if it were to come out, I mean, we're 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 not saying he's definite. You know, drug street. That's not what we're getting at. But if he were, it just would. I, It'd be heartbreaking across the world. I don't think it would ever. Nobody would ever forgive the athletics world uh, for for if that would happen. When me and TK were talking just before the race um, on Saturday, I think we just kind of assumed he was going to win. But we were saying that either he would have to lose, and there, and it could that would be the time to come out. Then, if it was that he was doping, or there is evidence and no one comes out with it because it's literally not worth it because it would just destroy everything. Or they wait till someone beats his time and they have kind of a new face of athletics and then he could come out of them. But it's almost like even just being faster than him might not be enough because he's such like a figure, his personality and everything. Um, When I was doing some reading, uh, athletes in Jamaica I saw are tested one day a year outside of competition and dating back to 2007, Bolt has been on a holiday for the same day every single year. <laughs> and there's no penalty for missing this test in Jamaica. And outside of competition tests, what USADA have said is the best place where they catch the cheats. Because when it's in competition tests, one, you're prepared for it. Because you know it's coming at some point, And you're more likely to, after a race, like be diluted with a mass intake of fluids or 
you'll have the intake of masking agents as you're expecting the test to be coming. So it is. it does sound pretty down on our part to just be calling out Bolt as if he literally is one, but I think just the stats are there that you kind of have to prepare yourself for that possibility because it is almost not impossible, but it's very unlikely that someone could be ahead of the drugs cheats, as Alex said, for so long. Well, it's like um, you said earlier, people say, oh, it's, he's not a drugs cheat, he's exceptionally talented. Well, isn't the actual thing they've always said he isn't talented, he's not built to be a 100-meter runner? He shouldn't be good at 100 meters because of his be build. Tall, should you? No, so perhaps there is something more that that uh, you know, we don't know yeah, that we that we don't see. But uh, personally, I'd love to know that that Bolt would be clean, and we do still have this face. But in this current day, it's it's hard to, like you say, trust anyone. It's like we said, isn't it? You'd rather not know, even if it is there. I've said with boxing before, where people say there's far more on it than you know. And I've said I'd rather not know because I don't want to be thinking about every person thinking, oh, you must be on it, you must be on it, you must be on it. It's quite like primal in that the two main things that the world cares about is the fastest man on the planet and the heavyweight champion going back is they're like the two, maybe it will change eventually with UFC, but that's it for another day. But they're like the two big things, aren't they? And to think then that the fastest person on the planet is forever going to be someone doping. I said on a previous episode that I wouldn't want it to get like F1 where it's who's got the fastest car and who's got the best technology. But the thing is, the science is always going to be ahead of the testing because the testing is reactive to the science. So it's quite depressing to think that particularly athletics it is always going to be such a clear, clear thing that we're thinking about. It's um, like going back onto when we were talking earlier about, um, you know, the sort of like, for example, Mo Farah, like the athletes looking for how close they can get to in terms of the line, in terms of the substances they can and can't take um, to help them. Like when we were talking about Bradley Wiggins earlier, um, it's sort of when you start to, you know, you talk about what he's taken and he doesn't actually need it. I think that reveals, you know, what they're prepared to do and the sort of line of thinking that they're going down to improve their performance. Um, I, I totally understand, like, you know, I, I've trained for races this year um, and have got ill in the weeks running up to it and it is a nightmare. You spent, like, an entire year training for this race. It's been targeting. You come down ill and you'll look at... You feel like, you know, it's like it's not, it's not something that you deserve... And you're looking for ways out of it. And you're looking for things that might, you know, balance, rebalance the scales to give you that chance again. You know, it's, it's, it's when you start to think along those lines, it's easy to see the sort of lines of thinking that these athletes will go down to make them able to feel good that they, they're not doing the wrong thing. And, you know, they are able to, you know, it's, it's okay to go down that line of thinking. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think, you know, Mo Farah, not being an asthmatic and then being becoming an asthmatic under Salazar uh, was uh, you know it's just it's obvious little things like that it's that stand out. I know you said there about like the injuries and the exhaustion, and I think that's going to be half the reason that fighters do it in particular because there's now technology out the technology is the right word, but there are substances there that help with the weight cuts. And you look at Tyson Fury, who was then popped with Nandrolone, being a guy who's 
near 20 stone being able to dance around the ring for 12 rounds and barely look like he's broken a sweat by the end of it. And I, we don't want to go too far into every sport that there is, but it looks like it probably is a lot more prominent than we know. Um, Connor, do you think that athletics could possibly come back if it was to be Usain Bolt? Do you think it's a case of finding just another poster board? Do you think it would be a lot harder than that? Um, for me, with Bolt, I think because he's how big he has become over the last few years, not because he's been big over one Olympics, but because he's done it over a few now and the World Championships, I think it would be too big for athletics to to come back from this, really. I mean, especially, I think, if they were to catch Bolt out, there's then no stopping them from going then for Mo Farah or someone who's maybe not as big as Bolt, but the next sort of level. And, um, yeah, maybe if they were to get him, where does athletics go from there, really? I mean, they really do need to to find something soon to sort of stop the doping because it's it's becoming sort of worrying to the even the general fan who maybe doesn't watch it that much. But you are always thinking, oh, he's he's done drugs before. You know, are they on drugs at the moment? As a stat that I found with um, London 2012 Olympics, of I think it was 89 finalists at the London 2012 Olympics have now been done for drugs. And that 31 competitors who were in the world championships from the weekend have previously been known for drugs. So, I mean, it's quite a big start. Like, you know, obviously there are hundreds of competitors throughout all the competitions, but that's quite a large percentage considering um, sort of who is, you know, keep uh, to keep performing every year. TK, TK, if we bring you in here, a couple of questions for you. So I hope you're prepared. Go on. Um, Rory mentioned earlier that some people might have the view that let everyone take what they want and then you see who is the fastest and kind of like racing cars, that kind of thing. Do you think that's a step that we may just have to accept or do you think? You're worried that that could end up happening. I think it's only because it ends up becoming easier to do that than to eradicate drug streets and to monitor it as they are. So it actually becomes simpler way of doing it that way but then like you say it does just become a science experiment doesn't it it's who's got the best nutritionist yeah who's got all the best gear who can sort you out the best it's not who the best athlete is yeah i've got some questions rory if we because you only brought this up if we go to you what what would your take on that be um well personally i'd love to think that everyone I kind of want to see the good in people, hence why yeah. I don't really like Bisping and I don't really like John Jones. But do you get my point of? <laughs> you I'd pointed rather, me as you said that. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather see see the good in people and see the best athlete rather than the best. Absolutely. Um, you know, the best performer. Let's yeah, say. Yeah. And just a, a side note here: you can go over to you can you can race your horses over in America and use a substance called lassics, which is basically they they allow every horse to have it. So it's an even playing field. And then anything other than that's banned. So we kind of might get to a stage. I know it's completely different. It's animals compared to yeah, humans. But we might get to a stage where, oh, well, you've got a list that you can use of, well, we're going to allow this performance enhancer because it, it's only a, a minor one. But anything that's got, you know, a longer lasting effect, you know, I'm not a specialist in these kind of areas, oh, we're banned that. And then you're going to end up with an even more blurred line. It's kind of a final, isn't it? Because then, what, as soon as you allow one thing, it's kind of like, yeah. well, maybe we allow this next. Alex, to go to you, what would you say if there was going to be something, how could you possibly combat this and maybe try to start reforming the way athletics is looked upon? 
that isn't that the question? <laughs> the uh, um, do you know what? I I cannot give you an answer. Oh, I, I think I think it's I, I think it's pretty much condemned. Um, it's it, it's just of, something that you're competing in. I know. I know. <laughs> like it's. I have spoken to a lot of coaches and athletes that, you know, it's sort of, it's just like, oh, everybody's on it, everybody's doing it. It's, it's almost like the war on doping that seems to be at the moment has been lost. And it's just like... That's that's maybe a, a good question then. Would We saw with Armstrong's defence was that everyone's on it. I know maybe it wouldn't be happening maybe in the like field you're in, but if something was to happen, do you think it would then be looked upon as disgusting or do you think it would be a case of, oh, well, everyone at that level's on it, so we don't look upon it too badly? The thing is that you've got to, you're not going to, there's too much money in it. Yeah. It's, that, that is the main motive. In fact, so this is why I think, you know, doping's, happen, doping's, doping's happening. And as long as people can make money from it, um, people will forget and they will move on. Um, I think if it did go to that, I think it just would become... I think there are sports already in the world where NFL, for example, where it is more tolerated and people just accept what those athletes, what those players are on. And I mean, look, NFL is a love sport. I mean, it's massive in the world and, you know, nobody says too much about it. Um, so I, I think it's possible to live in a world, not that I'm saying that that is the way it should go. Um, but sadly, as I said before, it's, I think as long as there's money in sport and there's influence from, you know, outside parties that want to profit from that sport, we're going to be living in a world where it's going to be along that line of thinking. You might know, Rory, is it Belfort that's looking to run down his contract so he can go to Japan and he can load himself up with PDs again and compete um, at the level he was? Because <laughs> you saw just how much it does yeah, with him. The TRT that he was on was it made him a completely different athlete. It's literally known as two era, TRT Belfort yeah. and now. Yeah. The the one point I just wanted to go back to, Connor said about the amount of people that have been previously done for drugs and are now still competing. Ban them for life. Yeah, absolutely. Once you've been done once, you should be gone. You shouldn't be allowed back in. If you went to a job and you were oh, caught doing drugs on the job, no, sorry, you're sacked. <laughs> An athlete, an athlete can just say, "Oh, I'll do my couple of years. I'll come back then." And it's absolutely ridiculous. You should be gone once you've been popped. Once you're gone, and if suddenly you start seeing people think, "Oh, I best not do that because my livelihood's gone," and perhaps that was the way to go. Yeah, if if we go back to Alex and then to Connor and then we'll move on, or we'll be having about a five-hour episode. <laughs> do you think Alex is a good idea? The uh, the idea of prolonging. Or postponing the like handing over of the medal and making sure all the testing's done first before you formally give someone like a gold medal or something like that, or do you think it's just a case of maybe then it's going to push it even more because you're still not going to get that moment of having the gold medal? So no, I don't think it will come to that sort of thing. I think you know having the uh, the medal presented in the moment is they they won't they won't do like. It takes away from the moment, you it's know. Like the you've money got, shot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is the money shot. Um, like the amount of people that stayed, uh, like on past ten o'clock on the in the evening that Mo Farah won the ten k. I mean, the stadium was still full. Um, you know, people are going to want to 
you know, stay and watch that medal presentation. If you've got to wait like oh, an extra hour and a half, get it up on the big screen. Is he clean? Is he not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, build up. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, yeah. You could do it like the video technology. <laughs> yeah. it's like it's cricket where they roll the <laughs> out. See, that's almost as exciting as the race itself. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think um, postponing the uh, the medal presentations or any, you know, just the trophy presentations in any sport that sort of line of thinking it will get to that. Um, but it is. A very sad sentiment, like Jessica Ennis receiving the gold medal that I think it was from the World Championships a few years ago. Um, yeah. You know, it's a bit like, uh, right, it sort of gets, nobody really knows that it's happened in that much. I mean, probably it, a lot of the GP fans will know, but anybody else in the country, it's not going to be, she's not going to be remembered as the world champion in that year. So um, just, just to close this topic out, maybe the final question, do you think an issue could be that we're quite selective with the cheats that we go against because being myself I'll slate Farah as we've done now and I'll cheer for John Jones last weekend well we support um, Mo Farah who trains in Portland Oregon and was born in Somalia you know do we That's not a different road to go down yeah, but, yeah but, but I mean don't we just automatically select who we who we back because they're wearing our flag we, we get behind them I'm saying more as in we're selecting who we root against. Well, yeah. Because I think... We're fundamentally biased. As maybe we're... we need to be more open because I know with USADA how they do it is you're notified once you failed but then they won't expose that unless you bring it up which is why the case with the Furies was opened up because they mentioned the fact that they'd been popped and so otherwise, they wait until they've gone through a whole trial before they expose it, which is why David Price was able to be knocked out by someone who'd failed a test three months before. David Price was knocked out then before that, and then it didn't come out till years later that he'd been knocked out by a drugs cheat. Yeah. So it is. we are very selective, I think, with who we go against. Connor, if, if you close us out. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of talk with footballers being tested, and there's a lot of... Um, them who said you know that they've been put off where they've been injured for a few weeks where they've been rumored to have failed drugs tests and or you know there's there's worries about them failing a drugs test so you know they've they've somehow picked up an injury in training and things like that but going back to obviously what you mentioned about being selective of who we tend to like um i know that it does tend to be a very big media based they do have a big say on what the general public do think especially the people who don't really watch athletics a lot I noticed the other night in the uh, 100 metres where obviously Gatlin did win, Every, even the commentators, but after the next day, every news article was drugs cheat Gatlin, twice drugs cheat Gatlin. It was never just Gatlin, you know, he's he's done his time. Obviously, some may say, you know, it's that's, con- that's obviously a completely different subject and, you know, he has done his time. But, you know, the, there have been times in the past where there's been plenty of uh, GB athletes who have failed drugs tests, come back and have been cheered. Johan Blake was one, obviously Jamaican, but he he was one who was cheered the other night when he came up. He's failed a drugs test before. Um, Linford Christie, Dwayne Chambers, Christina Horigu, they've all rumoured to have failed drug tests. Some of them have. And yet we still cheer them because they're GB athletes and that the media aren't someone who would put them down because they're GB. Gatlin, American, he's come back. He's said to be free now of, of drugs, whether he is or whether any of them are. That's obviously to be discussed at another time. 
I was giving you the platform there to mention Rio Ferdinand, but <laughs> obviously you've decided not to. And uh, to close this one out, we mentioned uh, Connor's guilty crush list last week as having Cyborg on there. This week I've just seen Castor Semenya on the list. <laughs> Late last week, pictures surfaced of Malaji appearing to be dropped in sparring by McGregor. He's now quit the camp and has been saying several things about his time there. And I wondered uh, your three's take, Alex has now left us, on how much do we take from the pictures? Do we buy into that? Is it just McGregor trying to sell the fight? Is it right for him to do it? All that kind of thing. TK, if I go to you first. Um, yeah, as you kind of said, it is him trying to sell, isn't it? Looking like he's dropping sparring partners. Normally you get kind of rumours getting leaked and stuff like that. I'm sure we'll probably get a few saying that Flory's been beat up in sparring and stuff. That's the usual sort of um, protocol. Um, should he have done it? I think, no, not really. I think there's a general sort of code of conduct seems a little bit cringy, but that, there is that type of idea that what goes on in sparring stays behind closed doors and you don't talk about it. I don't think Paulie should talk about it too much either in fairness, but I suppose if you're having photos like that put out about you, he's probably going to be quite protective, isn't he? So I can understand his point of view. Do you think that maybe this is a bit of a conspiracy theory? Oh, McGregor's trying to plot another fight in boxing and maybe planting the seed for when they were Malanaji. <laughs> if he gets a lesson off Floyd, is there much interest in it? I think everyone's just going to want to go back to UFC. I don't think they're going to want to see a fat out of shape poorly going in with him at his age. I don't think they're going to be too interested. All right, Rory, if we go to you, our resident McGregor superfan. <clears throat> in some of the pictures, Malanaji did appear to be bruised. So where do you think? Do you think it's somewhere in the middle? Do you think Malanaji was beating him up in sparring as he's saying? Or do you think McGregor is dropping him and he's giving him a beating in sparring and all this? I always say there's three sides to every story. In this case, we've got McGregor on one side, Malanaji on the other, and the third side is always the truth. Normally falls somewhere in the middle, sometimes more to the right, sometimes more to the left. You should get that tattooed. <laughs> bit like uh, TK's famous tattoo. <laughs> Couples that rave together stay together. Um, anyway, back to back to the, the uh, relevant topic. I think that we are going to fall somewhere in the middle. I'm sure that McGregor has landed the left hand a couple of times and probably felt like he's had some good success with it. Um, but I also probably feel like Malinaji does have enough ring craft um, in him to probably do some damage to McGregor as well. I'm not so sure that um, there's necessarily been this all-out war inspiring that we've necessarily been led to believe. They've probably got heavier gloves on. They've definitely got the head guards on. And I'm I'm not sure. Malinaji said they definitely went 12 rounds. I don't know if it would have been your normal three minutes, one minute, or whether they've had some sort of more lax rules. But I feel like we've been kind of sold a bit of a line and we're trying to be led to believe that they've had these wars inspiring. He said that he mentioned the, that they'd approached him and this was months before the first press conference and then he said nothing had been said and it had gone quiet on their part. And then at the press conference, he still said he hadn't heard anything. And then at the start of the second press conference when he said they'd approached him, he was going to be flying out. Apparently he got off the plane um, less than two hours later. He yeah. was laced up, ready for sparring. So he said he wanted to get in shape for it so he wasn't in the best shape he could have been. 
And then he said he was told eight rounds they were doing. And then after they finished, he said, yeah, we're going to do two more. So he did that. And then they put the first picture out, didn't they, of him landing the big left hand. I'm fairly sure that was the first one that came out. And people, oh, no, he's... And then Malanagi is now admitted to, oh, I was trying to sell the fight when I came out after I'm a good team player. <laughs> the thing that I was uh, thinking about earlier on uh, Paulie's part, he was so against the fight before it was even made. And if you whore yourself out as much as he has done, and I do like Paulie, but if you're going to whore yourself out that much, eventually some nudes are going to be leaked. <laughs> <laughs> These are the equivalent of those nudes. They're not flattering. They're probably not as good as he could have looked. <laughs> but they're, but out, they're out there. He has to wait for it to blow over. All he can say is point, but... Him saying that he's been hacked is not going to make much more because there's still going to be those those people there that are going to be believing exactly what they've seen. I'm only really speaking from experience here. <laughs> well, it's the fact that he said um, it he's cold. got a... It's the fact that he said he's got a video of them sparring a full 36 minutes. Well, what he says is there's CCTV and he says they were doing it in the Ultimate Fighter gym so there'll be cameras okay. pointed at the ring. But I, I think it was Cathal Pendred said that they're doing it at a completely different place to where Malaladji believes the ultimate fighter shot right. so there's not going to be cctv pointed at the ring so right. thinks in other words we're back to this somebody's selling a load of bollocks and we're trying to be forced to believe it yeah i think malaladji is saying get the footage because he knows they're not gonna be able to get the footage yeah um mcgregor saying nothing because he doesn't really have to say much more than what the pictures say i mean for me personally i like i say i don't believe that we've been these apparent wars, why would you be doing this three weeks from a fight? You're not going to be going hell for leather. McGregor's pretty renowned for... He openly admits that he doesn't uh, try and take the head off each other in sparring because it's not the the new sort of modern way of training. He's trying to get more towards a very technical approach. I mean, even in his fights, he's trying to get away from it a stand, you take one, I take one. He has that movement coach, doesn't it? I don't yeah. Portal. He's trying to get into a very new, unique style of, of training. Yeah, Ido's not the most, uh, <laughs> not the most loved character in Stockton. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, my point is that I feel like uh, they've probably done a few, I can imagine that Paulie's probably tried to coach him more than actually take his head off in the this, sparring. This is the thing. The best thing they could have done with Paulie in there is he's decided to stick with his MMA coaches to get him through the boxing match. Paulie is one of the best pundits there are, and he does spot things that you see a bit before then. So if anyone was going to be able to help with the little tricks and things, as a smaller guy with not that much power, he probably would be the best guy to know exactly what's to be done. And all they've done is, is peed him off. And he's now saying that the non-disclosure agreement, because he wasn't paid, is void. So he can say whatever he wants. He says he's not going to say their specific tactics, but then he did tweet saying that McGregor whimpers like a bitch when he's hit to the body, (laughs) which we did say beforehand in our original take on the fight that with McGregor's stance, his body is going to be wide open. Well, the the one thing I would say is that when McGregor first mentioned that Malinaji was coming out to help him, he said, you can get some as well or something to that effect. So why pay you, for his words. Yeah. Why would you ever set your stall out that somebody's coming out to help you and you're trying to go after them? I, I don't buy it at all. 
I really don't buy it. If I uh, bring you in then, Connor, how much do you buy into it? Not too sure, to be honest. I mean, it's uh, you've covered obviously most of it already. Um, I think that with McGregor, he's obviously got this sort of aura about him where he, I don't know whether he feels the need to show everyone of how well he's doing or whether he needs to, as they call it, you know, acting for the gram as such as putting pictures on Instagram to try and show <laughs> that you're, you know, you're li- living a better lifestyle than what you actually are. And whether that's the case with him, with this boxing, with Malaji in there. I mean, with Paul, it's, it's kind of difficult for him because obviously he's gone there to help him out, as you said. And then if he has been knocked down with McGregor, obviously you mentioned that the two people in, in there who were taking photos were part of McGregor's team and that no one else was allowed in there at the time so that obviously no bad pictures of McGregor are going to come out. But I don't really know what he was expecting of that, whether he was expecting other press to be in there. Well, I don't think that happens in any other camp at all. You know, um, Mayweather doesn't even allow anyone to video at all or, or take any pictures whilst he's training. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a bit of a strange one, really. But I don't think you can really take too much from it. But I think what you said, it could be a good thing for him Maybe he's trying to cause a fight after this to to then take that to McGregor Malnagy after the uh, Mayweather fight. Maybe. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the all access is like commissioned by Floyd, so you're not going to see anything negative about Floyd. But something we'd mentioned, uh, TK, is even if he's beaten Malnagy to a pulp, that doesn't really make him any more likely to beat Mayweather, does it? An out of shape. Paulie Malanagi that's just been stopped by probably European, well, European level uh, Sam Eggington in his last fight. Then he's retired because he's just been taking a beating. So what does it really prove? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even even if he beat up, even if he beat up a uh, prime Paulie against Floyd, it doesn't stack up. It's it's an unbelievable achievement for an MMA fighter, but still doesn't mean you're going to go in there and beat Floyd. It doesn't add up. No. So I guess we're fairly unanimous on we're not buying anything into it but it's it's done its job it's got people talking the people who don't know anything as you referenced in your article that's gone up today look yeah i was about to say there's levels to this on the floyd paulie <laughs> yeah. but byron's just come in and, and <laughs> yeah. sold the article for you TK. Cheers, boys. Yeah. i was gonna say kind of as you said there's the people who just tune in for the big fights the people who say oh i gotta get the lads over for this <laughs> And it's done its complete job because I've seen people sharing it saying, look what he's doing to a boxer. Yeah. Things yeah. like that. So it's done its job. He doesn't have to say anything. Everyone's doing it for him. I think if he had any say, any, any say in it, it's extremely stupid to do that because why would you piss off someone that close to your camp? Because if he does have something spectacular that's going to shock people, then how does he know that Paulie's not going to go and spill that? So, but... No, I think it's just, as we said before, the most entertaining thing about the fight would be the build-up, and this is just another level to it. Next up, we have an interview of UFC prospect Shane Burgos following his win at UFC Long Island. Enjoy. Hello? Hello, thanks for giving me some of your time. Yeah, no problem, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, just to um, start off, I heard you... Um, on the MMA hour on um, Monday, so it's, it's great to hear you on there. Um, I just wondered, how did you um, originally yeah. get into MMA? How did I get into it? Yeah, I just saw an episode of 
UFC Unleashed on TV, and I saw, I saw Matt Hughes versus Carl Newman. Like I said on the MMA hour, uh, Matt Hughes slammed Carl Newman, and I just instant love at first sight. I was like, what is this? And then Ultimate Fighter was airing week after. I caught that, and I've been a fan ever since. Not even just a fan, but a diehard fan. In your, in your fights, it's, it's usually a lot of stand-up, but you said um, that you like fell in love with grappling when, when you were younger. Is that what you started with? Is that like jiu-jitsu or... Well, it's not that I started with that. I started as a, as a, um, as mixed martial arts. I, I did striking and grappling. Okay. So I just gravitated more towards grappling. And yeah. I was more of a natural at grappling. My kickboxing wasn't very good at the time. Do you think it's something that you'll surprise an opponent by when you eventually put in the position where you're able to use it? Because you haven't been able to demonstrate it as much so far. Like the gra- more of the grappling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's still like a, like a tool that I have that I don't need to use. Yeah. But it, it's always there so it's definitely something that I have in my back pocket and if, if, if the opportunity presents itself I, I don't discriminate I'll take yeah. the submission I'll take the knockout I don't care <laughs> in the last fight with Castro in the final round you ripped in like a great body shot which like nearly got you to finish do you think like the body shot is more underused in MMA because you don't see it as much and you think with like the tiny gloves it'd almost be like more effective than it is in boxing yeah absolutely like great point you know, it is very underutilized and like you said the glove is so much smaller that there's way more power with the MMA glove on especially to the body Yeah. But, I, mean, it landed <laughs> I saw you tweet Woodley after the fight. Do you think, with the comments from Dana, do you think maybe there's more pressure on than just winning now in the UFC, and it is about looking good? Because I thought you would have got some like performance bonuses in your last fight. Yeah, um, I think for sure there, there's a little more pressure to, to do good, but I have that pressure on myself no matter what. I don't want. I never want to have a boring fight or an unentertaining fight. I want my want fans to want to watch me fight. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta make sure I watch this card because change it on it. So, uh, but I, it's gonna happen. You can't control every single fight and everything. No. Opponents, styles make fights. You know, styles make fights. So I, I would leave, you can't knock him for doing what he had to do to get the job done. Yeah. Especially when you're making six figures almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, definitely. No, I'm not almost. He's making well over six yeah. figures. So, so I get it on the Yeah. In, in, your, in your last fight, um, the scores were 30 26. Um, 30-26 and 29-28 do you like the new scoring or do you think it leaves some like room for controversy in, in a close fight I think that the new, the new scoring curriculum is, is good but I don't really understand like I, I'm not being biased against myself like I, I can I can say when I thought I lost a round yeah but I can't see how I lost any round in that fight no I, I absolutely I agree <laughs> no I agree when it was read it out I thought it was round, right? yeah yeah I couldn't so, believe it what in what in the second round did he do better than I did? I don't I don't understand. I, I, I shook off every takedown. I ended the round on top, round yep. counting him. I outstruck him the entire round. But I don't really see how he won that round. No, not but at all. It, it, honestly, it, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and bitch about it because I won the fight down yeah. the next. I don't really give shit. But it, it's a little it's a little annoying though. Yeah, having um like grown up as a, as a big UFC fan, is it? kind of strange now to see yourself as a UFC fighter is it something that you kind of expected as you were coming through yeah it's really really surreal the whole thing is weird like the fight week everything's weird the weirdest part is right before I'm about to walk out to the cage yeah and it, it's giving that little highlight about about me and Pepe like right yeah. telling, us, telling us telling fans what we're about yeah and I'm just standing back there waiting for my favorite song to play that part is really really weird to hear John Anik talking about me so yeah. it's, it's <laughs> surreal but it's, it's awesome yeah do you think um I've watched back your UFC debut the other day. Do you think there's ever going to be anything stranger? Because it 
It was you that had your hair cut in the octagon, wasn't it? Yeah. As an unbeaten fighter, do you think, is there any more pressure added on you in kind of protecting your role? Because it's like less common in MMA than boxing, is it just, just the pressure on yourself that it would be normally just to go out there and perform as you know you can? No, not at all. I never, I never think about the fact that I'm actually undefeated. Yeah. I just think about the, the actual like, I never, I never did put, my, put pressure on myself for my for my record. I never really thought about it. Yeah. It's funny because my like going into this fight, I was nine and zero, and ten and zero sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> think about ten and zero being double digits undefeated until like a week before the fight. I was like, oh shit, if I win this fight, I'm, I'll be ten and zero. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool undefeated potential fight. That potential pro fight. So I never think about that. The pressure's always on myself just to win and perform. Yeah. I'm entertained by and always look to the finish. So that's the pressure I put on myself. I don't put, my pre- put any pressure on the actual record or anything like that. Yeah. Looking ahead to your next fight, is is there anyone you look at in particular? Is it like a top 15 guy or? I don't care, man. Like I, like I, I told Ari, I really don't care. It's just about, about just fighting. Fighting and winning and just being exciting, having fun fight. So match up with somebody fun, somebody that the fans want to see me fight. Yeah. And we'll take it from there. I've spoken to a couple of fighters and they say that they find the hardest part of um, like the fight is making the weight beforehand. Is that the same for you or is it like the t- the technical side of it? Or uh, The hardest part is making weight sucks. It yeah. always sucks. It doesn't like, it's not like I caught a stupid amount of weight. It's just who the hell wants to sit in the dog? No. Who the hell wants <laughs> to not eat food and diet? Nobody wants to do that. No. Especially me, I love food. That, that part sucks, but the training for eight straight weeks, man, that, that part is even... That's, mentally taxing yeah. like you're, you're physically exhausted but then on top of that your body is just hurting you, need, you want a day off but it's like it's a freaking Tuesday you don't get a day off till the end of the week so I think the hardest part is getting through the training camp and, and getting through the training camp healthy is yeah. the hardest part honestly that's almost impossible and then just finally is has there been anything mentioned are you, are you thinking you're going to be on the MSG card in November is that something you'd like to be on or no official word or anything like that but yeah. I mean I'm a, I'm a New Yorker yeah. I'm a fight fan. I'm a, I'm a sports fan. So I, how do you not, how do you not want to be on that MSG card? Oh, you know absolutely. I mean? Thanks for giving me some of your time. I, I really appreciate it. I know, um, you're, you're loaded up with interviews. Oh, oh Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Have a good one. All right. Thank Bye. you. Late last week, Vladimir Klitschko announced his retirement and therefore confirmed that the Anthony Joshua rematch will be off. There's been a lot of discussion following the fight as to where Vladimir will now rank among the all-time great heavyweights. So TK, it's just me and you left here. I thought if we break down maybe some of the all-time great heavyweights and how Vladimir stacks up compared to them, and then we'll kind of, we won't do like a top 10 list, but we'll maybe say where whether Vlad's top 5, top 10, top 50, whatever. Okay, so um, just to kick us off as kind of an overview of uh, Vladimir, my main thing is I think he's been unfortunate that he's been a very dominant champion in a weak era and he's kind of had to retire now that it's hotting back up again because when you look through his resume, he hasn't ducked anybody really other than his brother, which you can understand. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just a shame that, that he's got old. And I, I wondered, the first question I thought to ask you is, should he be criticised for having a, inverted commas, boring style or do you think he should be praised for making it so effective? Um, I, th- I think he needs credit for making what is one of the, if not the most effective forms of fighting in heavyweight boxing. Um, 
But I just think with some of the opponents he was going in there with, I think with the skills he possesses, he can still outmaneuver them, outskill them, and close the show emphatically and quite early as well. He was either dragging it out to later or going to points for people that really shouldn't have been in there with him. And if you look at Manny Stewart said it better than anyone that he said that if Vladimir was a bit more aggressive, he could be the most dangerous heavyweight ever. It was Manny Stewart that yeah. one of the best trainers ever. So, and, and he's right. If he was more aggressive with what he had, he could have, he could have been, if he was knocking out all these people emphatically early on, we'd yeah. be talking about him in the same vein we talk about a lot of other people. I think another thing that Way's suffered is that he's European and not American. Yep. Because if you look at a lot of the people that criticised him, Dan Raphael being one of the key ones, yep. they praise Andre Ward for doing the exact same thing. Yeah, there is a sort of... Um, American arrogance around that, isn't there? So yeah. maybe towards boxing, which I think in time has people I've started to respect Klitschko more. And I think yeah. the people in the know in boxing in America do know what he's about and respect him. And in comparison to their own heavyweights, yeah. they know the score of where he's at. But there is a sort of a still perception, isn't there, that you you're not the main man, you're not a great until you've been to America, unless you are American yeah. or if you conquered America, whereas he's kind of had a fleeting relationship yeah. with America, shall we say. Something we've mentioned on um, previous podcasts is everything's better with kind of a story. Yeah. And for him to to suffer two quite crushing defeats and to come back in the manner that he did, I think almost adds to his legacy yep. rather than if he just crushed everyone. Because then I think it makes it would make it look like he has just been in there with all weak opposition and yeah, then he's absolutely. bounced back. Yeah, there's it's a funny one with Vlad. He, almost because he was an intelligent guy and seemed so composed and stuff, I feel, I feel like people maybe sometimes didn't buy into the story a little bit too much. If he was uh, kind of selling it a little bit more as, oh, I'd hit rock bottom, now I'm back yeah. on top, like we see all the time, don't we? That's yeah. always the story of hit whatever rock bottom is. Well, Harvey Davis sells it and he's born up and another. <laughs> yeah, and then and, and Vlad probably had it as... Tough as anyone, when he was a kid, grew up in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, his dad was in the military yeah. and then died off the back of yeah. um, Chernobyl. So he's had a tough upbringing as well, but that's never really talked about. Because yeah. so, I'd encourage anyone that likes any kind of form of sports documentary to watch the film uh, Klitschko. Yeah. Because it made me understand him and actually like him a lot more. He came across a lot more personable in there. Yeah. And there's some good stories. One of the main ones was... Um, he was saying how when he was younger, they had that little money in his family that him and his brother, obviously, um, Vitaly, they used to go and stand outside um, the bakery just so they could smell it and they would imagine what it tasted like. Oh, God. Because they had that, that lack of money. And um, there was another one saying how uh, Don King tried to sign them as they were coming up. And uh, as they came in the room... Don King told them that he'd written a song especially for them and he wanted to play it for them and he hoped that would be enough to convince them to sign with him. And there's footage of this and so he's, he's playing this song and they walk round the corner and he's not playing the song. It's one of those like pianos where they kind of press some kind of button no. and he's playing the tune and the keys are just going and there's footage of it and he Don King kind of just laugh it off. Oh, and then, God. You can kind of see how intelligent they were then because it's kind of a thing, wasn't it? There you go with Don King, you, you've you've made it in America. Yeah, yeah. And they were smart enough to say, no, we're not going to trust this guy. I think it was Vitaly said that yeah. if someone's going to lie to you the first time you meet them, what's he going to do yeah. <laughs> down the line when he's dealing with your money? 
<laughs> seems a fairly obvious assumption yeah. with Don King, doesn't it, to us? But yeah, absolutely. Just to go through then, um, Joe, Joe Lewis is the only heavyweight to win more title fights. But when you look back through his opposition, some of them were truly, truly terrible. Quite literally, <laughs> you could put a punch bag in there and it'd put up a better fight. This is going to sound quite bad as I go through the list of some of the like all-time greats. But I'm just trying to put it in perspective because... You're going to look like a casual, aren't you? Vlad's won casual. 25 title fights in, two, in over two reigns. As I said, his competition was far better than um, Lewis. um said his opposition was poor. And um, uh, Rocky Marciano only made five defences of his title. Uh, Gene Tunney, two. Larry Holmes reigned for a while, but looking at the opposition he had there was very poor. Um, and a lot of the, his opposition had less than 20 fights when he beat them. Uh, Lennox Lewis was obviously a great, almost in the same thing. He managed to lose to two inferior opponents and come back. And so yeah. you should maybe judge where you rank Lennox and then see with Klitschko. Um, Ken Norton never won the title in the ring. He never defended it. Um, Joe Frazier beat a string of very average fighters, but then obviously did go on to beat Ali. Um, Foreman only defended the title twice. And these aren't to kind of denigrate from those fighters. It's more just to point out that Vlad achieved a lot more than most of them. And the sort of criticisms that are thrown at him can perhaps be thrown at a lot more of those fighters and a lot more accurately. Yeah, I think I think there's a sort of I guess it's based on nostalgia. If we look back on certain fighters and yeah. you kinda of, you don't want to see flaws and you don't we always have a backwards sort of yeah. idea that the current fighters can't be as good as the old ones before, despite yeah, the fact that as time goes on we do tend to get athletically yeah. better, etc. We said it about football before, haven't we? Whereby yeah. we kind of we can only judge older players by what we read, what we're told and the clips we see. Yeah. It's the same with boxers, but there's kind of a limit to how much we can look at that. You're not going to go out of your way to watch a boring fight, are you? You're going to go out of your way to watch the best of each fighter. Yeah, same, like I said, the footballer. I'm only seeing George Best Best Bits. I'm not looking at him on an average yeah. game against Stoke in midweek. Exactly. Um, Vlad's obviously criticised a lot for his clinching, and <laughs> this might be outrageous to criticise someone like that, but if you look back at Muhammad Ali... He also did a lot of clinching. Um, he leaned on his opponents horribly and laying back way into the ropes to avoid punches, which is also illegal. And you do what the referee lets you get away with. And Klitschko, perhaps one of his criticisms could be the amount of time he was fighting f- from Germany. Yeah. And perhaps refs were more lenient with him there. But as I said, you, you're you going to do what, what the opportunities get away with. And it's down to the ref to stop you doing it talked about Mayweather McGregor earlier and I'm sure McGregor's going to do all he can before the ref tells him to stop it. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I think that is maybe part of when you've got such inferior opposition as he sometimes Absolutely, did. Yeah. I don't think he needed to just hold, clinch, be boring. I remember when the time of um, when Hay was calling him out saying he was just kind of jab, jab, grab. The, the criticism was fair in terms of yeah, you've got one of the best jabs ever yeah. And an unbelievable right hand. With that combination, you should be able to wipe out most heavyweights. So you shouldn't need to clinch in that play. Like you said, this you, your favourite man, Andre Ward. He's <laughs> He's got skills that he doesn't really need to be doing that. But when it gets difficult, it's a very, very effective way of fighting. It's kind of testament as well, isn't it? How obvious his style was. There's no secret to what he's going to do. Yep. 
but it's still so hard. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Pulev, that performance there, imagine if he'd gone through his whole career that aggressively. Yeah, exactly. That was scary that night. That left hook. And with that, we also, I think, we downplay Pulev now as to yeah. how good of a fighter he is because of what happened with Klitschko. Because you look down at the rankings now, Pulev would beat the majority of those guys that are there. He He's almost like a mini Vlad in terms of very effective, <laughs> very... Not the most entertaining. He's got like nine knockouts on the record. Yeah. I think that is his problem, is that we downplay him because he doesn't really yeah. have much knockout power for a guy that big. It really doesn't pack a punch. No. If you like compare the reigns of Vladimir Klitschko and Mike Tyson, Tyson, if you ask most people who the greatest heavyweights ever are, you get Ali and Tyson, you say <laughs> that's the dream fight. If you can make one fight, that'd be it. Yeah. And then kind of you look back at Tyson, he won the heavyweight title of one of the division's most mediocre champs in Trevor Burbick, lost it to Buster Douglas and was humiliated by Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis. So how does that make for a better resume than a guy who's reigned for? It's it's almost the two things, it's two starkest comparisons you can have. You've got a guy who, for a very short, explosive period of time, yeah, you thought, wow, this is incredible. You, in a way, you should probably know this can't last. It's going to yeah. be a short spell. It's going to be unbelievable. But it's, enjoy it while it lasts. Vlad was almost you weren't getting that excitement, but it's. You're just watching it thinking, wow, how is he doing this yeah. long? Almost kind of like a Tom Brady in football yeah. where you think, how is he doing this body of work over such a long period of time? It's like the opposite way rounds in their career is one being at the end, one being at the start. But Tyson was very one-dimensional and didn't change it. Yeah, Klitschko saw what was going wrong, changed it very effective from then onwards. Yeah, agreed. So just to go through some more names, so... You've got Lennox Lewis, and I'd be interested to see how you would compare the two fighters there. Lewis um, beat more all-time greats yep. than Klitschko, and it would have been interested to see like a prime Vlad against one of like Holyfield, Tyson, Glotter, Vitali, even. Yep. And that's perhaps where he suffered because we don't we can only now judge how we do against them. So where would you put you on the spot here? Would you have Lennox higher than Vlad in your all-time list? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you have to. With, with our all-time list, because it's obviously like a very personal thing, would you have it, would you judge it on ability? So perhaps would you have Holyfield, people say, in terms of raw talent, one of the greatest. And so it's where you have someone based on their ability or on their resume. I think we're doing it whereby you've got the ability, the resume going in, and kind of achievements. Yeah. I think that's why you've got I've like quite high up. Um, yeah, yeah. And a little bit on kind of, do you think he's better than the other guy? Would he beat the other guy? But it's, it's a little bit difficult with Vlad in that yeah, exactly. he's so much bigger than some of the other guys I'm sure Absolutely. we'll come on to, is that he's kind of almost a foot bigger than some of these yeah. guys. So it's a bit, almost like a two two different it's- divisions, but... Tyson against Klitschko, you think, would be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Could almost be like the Pulev one, but worse, because he's got all that space that he'd be able to work his jab in or swing that hook in for an absolute mile away. <laughs> yeah, it'd be horrible, wouldn't it? And yeah. On the flip side... He Tyson if, gets inside. If, yeah, Vlad looked terrified against guys like that, so with the reputation Tyson had coming in, yeah. Vlad would have been quick in his boots, because by his own admission, he's... Only oh, he's very scared, he's isn't like, he? Yeah, that's his kind of thing. 
Um, to move on from Lennox then, so Rocky Marciano won very hard to leave out your list, 49-0, but then you break down the resume that he had and he was a lot like Joshua in that he was very big, good-looking, and the promoters knew how to keep the hype rolling in that case, and so they were feeding him soft touches. Like The most notable names on his record by the end were... A past peak, uh, Joe Lewis, Ezard Charles, and Jersey Joe Walcott. I mean, the knockout of uh, Walcott is an impressive one, but it's yeah. still you, when you break down the record, then it's it's a lot less impressive than when you just see that big forty nine and zero. Hundred percent, yeah. I I struggled to stick Marciano in my top ten. Yeah, to be honest. Um, uh, the basic, just quickly going about Lewis yeah. on the basis of was in with very good fighters, absolutely time, beat them. Avenged losses that yeah. I think everyone would say they were losses because he got too casual or, or whatever, yeah, and then avenged them, and, and obviously looked like he was a class above. Yeah, and I think in the head-to-head with Klitschko looks good as well in the fight. Big, yeah, fight big, the big brother. So I think he's, he's an all-time great. So it's yeah. not it's not slating Klitschko, but not having him above him. No. Um, yeah, I think Marshall's record. I just I think. In a strange way, he and I was almost getting underplayed, whereby it's kind of like oh, he's fought bums and he was yeah. shit fight. He was just had a good chin and a oh, strong punch on him, which maybe is, is true to an extent. But I think when you when you compare him to the other greats, I don't think you can have him in. And like, Marciano was also dropped by a light heavyweight in Archie Moore, so you could see maybe if he was up against some of the big heavyweights. Yeah, he, he was only five ten as well. Yeah, that's so pretty. That's, that's pretty scary. Against, yeah. Against a guy who's six eight, that's well, so, six six. So. Maybe if we go on to another name that's that's been mentioned, Joe Frazier, um, beat Ali and cleaned out the division between the mid sixties and early seventies. Mm. Again, it's he's he's beaten Ali, and then it's comparing the fighters now to then. They probably wouldn't stack up, but you can only beat who's there at the time. So yeah. it is very hard to judge between the eras and. I can't say that I've sat and studied his fights. I think most people who claim to be a boxing historian probably know less than, <laughs> probably just know how to work box rec, but it's hard to judge because then you've got um, Foreman, who's obviously up there by defeating Frazier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And coming back to win it at 46. Yeah. It's not bad. Got Larry Holmes, who stakes a claim for the best ever, um, kind of cursed for reigning just after Ali. Yeah, definitely. um, he touted to have the best jab ever thrown by a heavyweight. Um, ranged from seventy eight to eighty five, made nineteen defenses, and then came out of retirement in ninety two to take Holyfield the distance. So that's yeah. another impressive name. So it kind of I I thought it would be quite easy to do my list until I looked yeah, at how many great heavyweights there have been. Yeah. And it's quite nice now to see the focus being put back on the heavyweight division. Agreed, yeah. He's, he has put it, strangely, by retiring, he's put it in yeah. the spotlight after his whole career, kind of struggling for yeah. it, really. Um, kind of come about a little bit through the fact that it's lit up with Joshua. and Yeah, it's going to lit others. up for him losing his titles. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you think of Tyson Fury, essentially, he kind of opened it up, didn't he? By winning yeah. that, it's kind of just opened the floodgates yeah. a little bit. Um. In terms of how you're ranked, I would say sometimes you're lauded more than just boxing ability. And I found a quite a, an interesting story of Jack Johnson. Yep. So he's been right up there in an era where a black fighter was blocked from even fighting for the world title. 
um, he like, enraged society by dating and marrying white women and he <laughs> delighted in taunting the rednecks <laughs> who didn't want to have a black champion and he virtually had to chase uh, the reigning champ, Tommy Burns, around the world. And then eventually she like shamed him into making a title defence all the way back in 1908 um, in Sydney, Australia. And Burns was absolutely smashed. Yeah. And so they then looked for um, a, a fighter capable, a white fighter capable of knocking out Johnson and taking him from his perch. And then in uh, 1910... He um, defended against James J. Jeffries, who was a former champ who'd been lured out of retirement, in their description to whoop the Negro. (laughs) And uh, in a preview in the New York Times, they wrote, If the black man wins, thousands and thousands of his ignorant brothers will misinterpret his victory as justifying claims to much more than mere physical equality with their white neighbours. So bad. And he destroyed Jeffries, and that victory actually sparked riots across America. Yeah, yeah, I've been reading this myself. Yeah, and so he he retired with um, 73 wins from 104 contests and losing just 13. And Ali, I'm not comparing the two, but Ali is almost put up there just as much for his outside-the-ring antics as inside-the-ring. Yeah. And so... It is quite hard when you're breaking down, when you've got to break down ability, personality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, if those things are taken into context yeah. as well, then obviously right Jack Johnson, Joe Louis, <laughs> yeah. um, Muhammad Ali, we got to be right up there. The thing worth noting with Jack Johnson as well, though, as much as he did do that, was that once he did have the belt, he, as a general rule, failed to fight black fighters okay. because there wasn't money in it. Yeah. Because everyone just wanted to see the white guy try and beat yeah. him. So they said, right, we'll pay to see him. He knocked him out. And bearing in mind the whole point of him coming up was that most of these black fighters are better than the white fighters. Yeah. Then there's a string of black fighters that never got the title shot that they should have done because they were. I, I remember much... Bunce talking about some names actually before that. In his, he was doing a competition on the best fighters to not win a world title, and he named plenty of those. Yeah, one I think did fight him, but he's well past Peter Sam Langford. If you look him up, he was probably the best fighter to never win a title was knocking people out from like middleweight up to heavyweight. Yeah. And he, he was a black fight and he, he never kind of got the shot. Um, until he was, oh, did he get a shot? I don't know if he actually ever got the oh, shot. Okay. I think he got a fight with Jack Johnson, but I'm not sure if it was yeah. the book. Um, just to close out this topic then, I would ask, not specifically for a ranking, but where would you put him? Top 10, top 20, top 5? It was, like you said, when we first had it, I thought, I'm going to think of a lot of top heavyweights. Yeah. I'm going to struggle to make a case of Vlad. I actually kind of found myself struggling to not have him in my top 10. Yeah. I thought I've probably got to have him in there now. Um, I'd actually have his brother in over him. Okay. Um, I think Vlad's probably got a slightly deeper resume. But Vitaly has got the highest knockout percentage in heavy, heavy, any, any heavyweight, sorry. He's never been dropped, let alone, bearing in mind, there was always a reputation that Vlad was very chinny. Yeah. It was a, Vitaly was a complete opposite, iron-chinned. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing with um, Vlad is he had such clear weaknesses. He had vulnerabilities, able didn't to... he? couldn't exploit yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, I'd say I'd Vitaly in there because only lost two fights. One was to Chris Bird, one was to Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Chris Bird, he got injured shoulder and got pulled out and was ahead on points. Lennox Lewis got pulled out on cuts and he was ahead on points again. Yeah. So I think... Lennox he, isn't exactly a bad fighter to have a loss on your resume. Exactly, and then Lennox retired and never fought yeah. again. So it's Vitaly, that little bit bigger as well, and people forget was an effective boxer. People tend to think of him as a bit more of a fighter than the two, but he was effective as well. Probably maybe the most dangerous heavyweight ever in that respect. So I'll have him just 
I'll have them next to each other, probably just slightly him yeah. slightly ahead of Vlad. I think I've got to have them at least sneaking into the top ten, maybe higher. I couldn't I couldn't make a case for top five, but I think somewhere in them it's there. Yeah, I was thinking not top five, but higher in my top ten, so Okay. Seven, eight mark maybe. Yeah. yeah. When you do break down it would be great if we could see them all now in some kind of, yeah. kind of coliseum. Yeah. <laughs> see who take, winner takes all, but no. Even if we had that kind of current footage of yeah. everyone as they were, yeah. you can make an easier comparison. Definitely. Especially with, if they all had the same level of competition as well, because when you see a record like 49-0, you think, well, that should be top then. Yeah. But obviously it's not quite the case. <laughs> it's, it's such a difficult one, the older fights as well, whereby... like. Jack Johnson, Jack Dempsey, yeah. who we haven't given much oh, attention yeah. to, um, Joe Lewis. They were kind of fighting like monthly or yeah. sometimes or weeks apart, yeah. which is a challenge in itself. But then if you look at some of the people they were getting, they were kind of getting yeah. pulled in off the street, then it doesn't quite add up, does it? It's a, oh, yeah, you there's mean. two different challenges there yeah. that you could never have now. No, you just have to kind of take people's word for it, don't you? Yeah, exactly. It's kind just, of word of mouth. Just to close out this topic then, do you, do you think it's the right time for him to retire? Yeah, probably is. Um, I think that. I think me and you are probably the similar thinking of the AJ rematch in terms of what was Eva going to get out of it out of the first fight. I mean, obviously, Vlad wants to avenge the defeat. And if he did go out with knocking Joshua, knocking Joshua out, that is a good way to go out. Yeah. But you've got to go for another training camp, yeah. potentially another brutal fight. That kind of sixth round, he's caught him with a worldly right hand that he, yeah. he must have thought would finish AJ yeah. and didn't. What are you gaining from it? I don't I don't see what Eva does. And if Joshua beats him out, what does he gain from yeah, it? I, don't, I, I, I think never saw it. He's, despite losing, he's retired on the highest point he was ever going to be at in his career. Yeah. Got the biggest cheer of the night at the stadium. Yeah. Which most popular, most respect. And he's now riding into the sunset on Hayden Panettiere. <laughs> it's not a bad uh, retirement, no. is it? Yeah, not bad at all. So, you can't, you can't begrudge him it. And, no. And... Like you said, he's actually getting the respect he yeah. probably has long deserved, really. I think, in a strange way, the Tyson Fury defeat almost kind of made people realise yeah. just how dominant he's been because of how hard it is to beat him. Yeah, I think it kind of goes the opposite. And I think what will happen is, in a couple of years, when he's been gone a while, people are going to look back when these belts are changing hands consistently and they're going to say, this guy was actually a lot better than thought. Because you match him up now... Having beaten Wilder, obviously if a freak right hand lands, but you give him a good chance against Ortiz, yeah. any of the top five, you you wouldn't make him a massive underdog in. So I so, think he's retired. Most fighters retire a bit too late. And when they've retired on losses, they've retired on fighters who really weren't at their level and age just caught up with them. Yeah. And so I think he can't have retired at a better time. No. No, I think he's he's got it about right. Yeah, financially, I'm sure he yeah. definitely has. <laughs> yeah. So, um, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Spitballing Pod. As always, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, if you could leave us a comment on SoundCloud, if you could follow us, like it on SoundCloud, um, if you can come on the website at www.spitballingpod.com, then you'll see articles posted on there almost daily. We've got Connor's Corner doing their breakdown of the top six. And he's written an article this week on the Neymar situation. TK's uploaded an article today on uh, the landscape of boxing, the breakdown of the five different levels there are, from a fight in the crowd to a mega fight. <laughs> I put several on there about the UFC, mainly about uh, my most recent was about Demetrius Johnson and how he's let us all down. 
Sean's done a breakdown of the NBA. Cam's done a bit of a mixture on everything. Uh, we've got Keegan breaking down the UFC, and now we have Brad joining us as well, and he's going to do some more breakdowns on a bit of everything. So Rory's giving racing tips every week, and he'll be doing golf tips next week. So you may find you'll have somewhere better to place your money, and hopefully Rory's track record improves. Um, and just finally, if you follow us on Twitter at, at SpitballingPod, then we'll have more for you there. Thank you.